So it's 7.30 at night on June 14th, 2014, and my friend Jason and I just went and had a pizza dinner at Sam and Greg's, and then we walked to down by the Big Springs, and there was a concert going on. Actually, before we got down there, we went into this new little coffee shop that's opened up downtown, and there's a girl in there who I found myself being attracted to because she looked like Laura. And I could feel myself going, gosh, she looks like Laura, she looks like Laura, and she's cute, and wow, I'd like to get to know her better. And I'm like, no, I can't do this. I gotta believe for Laura. I mean, I wasn't going through that much craziness. I was just thinking, I don't even like the fact that I was even thinking that. But so we leave there. I tell my buddy about it. I was like, yeah, I need to get out of there. That girl looks too much like Laura. Then we go to this little concert that's outside downtown. I see another girl that looks a lot like Laura. Real pretty, brown hair, long ponytail. She's got some young kids with her. And I find myself just sitting there staring at her. And I'm like, I told my buddy finally after like two songs, I'm like, let's get out of here, man. And I just wanted to leave because, you know, I'm in that vulnerable place where I'm waiting for Laura. And it's it's hard with me having my kids you know, not being able to come for the summer. So I've just had that as an emotional blow and I'm feeling weak and I'm not sure where I'm going to live and what's going to go on. So I feel that desire to want to reach out. And instead of sitting around and feeding the temptation, I decided I need to get out of here and leave before I figure out a way to, you know, say hi to her or something. I'm going, no, I'm in love with this Laura. Even though I don't know her, I have been waiting for her for so long and I can't give up waiting for her. I mean, of course there's going to be many times you're waiting on a pipe dream, Mike. I mean, I've heard this so many times. Why keep waiting for something that's never going to happen? Laura has moved on or I'll hear Laura's not as godly as you think she is. She's out with her friends partying right now or, you know, I'll hear all kinds of things. I have to choose to wait for God to open that door and until he tells me any different until he tells me any different until he tells me any different and man it's hard it seems like it's these Friday or Saturday nights sometimes when I see people out doing things and you see people in love and couples together it's hard it's hard I want to be with my wife and I'm praying to God that I'm able to wait for what I believe is a promise from from God for Laura you know, and so it makes me sad to think that I'm being tempted. I, I'm mad at myself that I'm even being tempted. And yet I'm feeling like, why am I seeing all these Laura looks lookalikes? You know, primarily the one girl uh, from Low Mill who I've seen multiple times, but then seeing her three times in one week, running right in front of my car, pulling up next to me at an intersection, and she by far looks the most like Laura. She's very attractive, just like Laura. I mean, Laura's prettier than her, but she's close. And, you know, then these these other girls, and I'm like, why is this happening that women that look like Laura are showing up? You know, I mean, it's frustrating. You know, you want so bad to be with somebody and to have a good godly wife and companionship and you don't want to have to go home and be by yourself you know and and just sit and 
either study the Bible or watch TV or do something for, for so long, you know. I've been single for, you know, over two years. And it's it's tough. Sometimes it's difficult. But I'm just... I think the thing that I'm the most disappointed about is I feel like I'm being tempted is bothers, bothers me. The fact that I would even look at another woman and think, wow, she's attractive. I wonder if I could just go talk to her. You know, I wonder, wonder if she's anything like Laura. You know, and and that bothers me that I even have those thoughts every once in a while. And yet, and then I say to myself, you know, I've been waiting for Laura for two years. I don't think anybody would blame me when I have absolutely no evidence whatsoever and no inclination to believe that Laura is remotely even aware of me or interested in me whatsoever. And so you're sitting here believing for somebody. You look at their picture. You pray for them. You pray for her kids. You desire her. You you wanna you want her kids to desire to be in a relationship with you and have you be like a father figure to them. And you have dreams and you step aside on a trail sometimes to visualize what it's going to be like to have her walking with you. And then you have this other reality that goes, you don't even know her. She's denied you the last two times you've seen. She hasn't wanted to have anything to do with you. She's moved on with her life. She could already be married by now or dating somebody or, you know, and uh, man, it's hard because then you go, well, what if you're passing up other opportunities? You know, like I see a girl tonight and I go, I'll never see that girl ever again my whole life. And that's the kind of thinking that goes on in your head that I know I have to resist. I there's Even though I'm tempted, my spirit says, nope, walk away. That's not right. You're believing a lie. And then part of me goes, but are you just telling yourself what you want to hear? You know, you go through this. Are you just are you just telling yourself? But then, you know, I'll see some sort of a sign. And I'm believing God's words rather than my feelings or what I can see. I'm believing when God shows me like today. God showed me a 212 today. A 955. You know, and and I just want to I just want to believe God. I think to myself, what would I do if I robbed myself of, you know, God's very best for me. What if God wants me to be a huge part of those kids' life and their spiritual upbringing and their kids, you know, what and and what if Laura is like the woman of my dreams that she respects me, she honors me, she gives of herself to me. She does not try to punish me with her body or lack thereof. She enjoys doing Bible studies with me. She likes to have, you know, long talks with me. What if I just walk away from all that? You know, I mean, man, I still am just so frustrated that I have these times where I'm tempted. I hate the temptation. It's like it makes me feel like there's something wrong with me. Michael Commentary. No, there is nothing wrong with you, young Michael. God is allowing all of this for a reason. He found something that you have a very, very strong desire for. And that gives him lots of room and opportunity to work in your heart and to refine you and to hold your attention. And he's actually strengthening you through all of this temptation. What you don't realize, Michael, is it feels like perhaps dirty to you, like you are failing in the area of faith, like you're not as godly, not as holy as you should be. Even Jesus Christ was tempted and suffered in all the same ways that we do. 
And the fact of the matter is, is that God has chosen in the face of great desire in our natures. He allows temptation to happen in order to strengthen us in the way of the spiritual. So, Brother Michael, you're not to be ashamed. You're not to feel bad about this. You're going to get through this, and the Lord is going to bless you and make you exceptionally strong in this way. You have a very inordinate desire for a wife. And the Lord is, believe it or not, His ways not being our ways, He's actually stirring up that desire in you even more to eventually bring that in to submission to Him. He's going to allow you to give full vent to that desire and full vent to your passions and full vent to your hopes. And He's in the meantime training you to trust in Him, training you to wait in Him. You see, Michael, if you didn't have this strong desire for something, it wouldn't be very easy for the Lord to put his hooks in you in a certain way and to lead you by that strong desire into the spiritual, to show you that there's something much greater that he has in the spiritual, which is him walking with him, hoping in him, waiting on him, receiving your guidance from him, delighting in him. And Michael, you have no idea that the Lord is going to give you the comfort of a wife, but even that he's going to remove from you and he's going to give you many comforts coming and he's going to then turn and remove them from you for the purposes of training your heart to seek and be fixed upon things above rather than things below. See, Michael, right now you are entirely too convinced that if you can just have the right wife who satisfies your eyes because she's beautiful, who satisfies your lusts of your body where you can enjoy sexual relationship with her, that you can enjoy spending fellowship in Bible study and perhaps working in the ministry with her and going on long walks with her. And you have created this ideal vision in your mind, Michael. You are hoping in the creature, younger brother. You still are convinced that if God will just give you this and that it will look so perfect and everything will work out so wonderful that you can be so happy in this gift and you justify desiring this because after all, God would be the one who gave it to you. But in the process, you'll lose the giver in the possession of the gift. Michael, your father loves your strong desire. He's given you this strong desire, but he wants to redirect that strong desire to him and things above. And God has allowed you to be fixated upon a wife. A wife is a good thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing from the Lord. There's no doubt about it. And you're going to have that experience. But ultimately what God is working is a spiritual desire in you. And you're putting down self. And what you don't realize is, is that you are becoming stronger and stronger in the matters of the spirit. You are becoming less and less worldly. And you are showing your flesh who the boss is. And that is the spirit of Christ in you. You're taking up your cross. You're denying yourself. You're waiting for a promise that God is going to fulfill. But God has to still get you to a place where you will not consume yourself and get lost in this gift God is never interested in giving you something that you would turn around and turn into an idol. And Michael, let me tell you something. If God would have given you Laura, you would have idolized her. You would have turned her, even though God gave her to you, just like even though Abraham was given Isaac by God, he turned Isaac into an idol in his heart. And we seek after the gift. We love the gift. 
We consume ourselves with the gift. We obsess about the gift. We have infatuation towards the gift. And meanwhile, we lose the giver. That is what is in your nature, Michael. It's in your nature to get lost in finding your life down here. And you have convinced yourself that because you don't desire a bunch of material wealth and you don't desire notoriety, you just desire this wife. See, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that your desire for this one singular thing. You have a singular focus and you've convinced yourself this is the only desire I have. Lord, is just, you know, let me have this wife. And, you know, Lord, I've only ever asked you for having my children back in my life and for me to have fruitful ministry. Lord, the only earthly thing I've ever asked for is this wife. And I'll be so happy. I'm not asking you for, you know, big home, TVs, lands, cars, jobs, careers, fame, fortune, bank accounts, retirements, 401k savings. I'm not asking you for dirt bikes bikes and trips around the world. You know, Lord God, I don't desire any, any of these things. I just want this one thing, this wife. Brother Michael, let me tell you something. God knows how quickly you would turn that gift, that strong desire into a God in your heart. He knows it. It's there. He knows so much more about your desire than even you do. And your desire is not normal. Your desire is not normal in this thing. Your desire is all-consuming in this. And so God has to work it out of you. And he doesn't do it by not giving you a promise. He's going to allow that desire to overflow, 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 overflow. And that desire you don't realize yet has been driving you to God in prayer for years. And what you don't fully understand is that all of these times you're going to the giver about the gift, you're finding more and more of the giver, Michael. That's why you're even frustrated that you're tempted because your conscience is being violated. You know that you are supposed to grow beyond even being tempted in these ways. You're supposed to grow in this and you're going to. You're going to grow. And you're going to find more and more of God. You're going to keep going to him about this woman over and over again. And you don't realize it, but you're growing in your relationship with him and you're finding him as you go to talk to him about this beautiful woman who you saw and the, the kindness that you saw in her and the humility in her and all of the desires of your heart that you think are in her, as you continue to go to your father in heaven, the giver about the gift, you're going to wind up falling more and more head over heels in love and in total fulfillment and unspeakable glorious joy about the giver rather than the gift. Hang in there, Michael. Keep enduring. End of commentary. You know, or like that I'm cheating on Laura because I'm looking at another woman going, hmm, I wonder, you know, if maybe I should not pass that up. Granted, I don't hardly, I rarely ever say that, but recently with all these like Laura sightings, I'm like, what's going on? Right now I'm looking at a 212 on the mini storage sign. You know, the one that I always see. It's good for me to go home and continue to just hide out, basically. And I'm so looking forward to the day where I don't even notice women anymore. I, When I was married, I never even noticed women. There's something about being single and expectant that you notice women. It's not like I'm looking at them and lusting, but you notice them. And you're just thinking, single, not single. Who's that? Who are they? You know, and it's just, I just don't, I just don't even like the, the noticing part. That's why I've told the Lord, you know, this is, this is a real distraction. You know, God, please give me Laura as my wife and let me be deeply satisfied of her love and her of mine. And, 
you know, man, I look forward to that day. God almighty, I look forward to that day. And I'm fighting with everything I have to wait. I saw a 666 today and, you know, I wonder if that's another thing that's going on is just the temptation that the enemy is trying to, he knows that it's getting closer and closer. And so he's trying to put decoys in my way. Why would I be seeing women that not only look like Laura, but they're single? What are the chances of that? Three women in a week that look, you know, so much like Laura that you're like studying their face. I mean, it's just crazy. It's uh, 6.05 in the morning on June 15th, 2014. I feel much better this morning. I came home last night after, you know, being tempted by the Laura lookalikes. I, um, I came home and I decided to listen to a program by Charles Stanley on temptation. And it was very encouraging because he said, you know, the more godly of a person you decide to become, the more committed you decide to become to God the more Satan is going to come after you and tempt you. And he's going to tempt you in your weakness. And my weakness is obviously not in drugs, alcohol, pornography, and stuff like that. My, my weakness is in my loneliness and in my desire to be with Laura and having to wait for her for so long. And so he just helped me to understand again that temptation is not sin, that we all feel temptation, that Jesus was tempted by Satan in those three times, three different ways. It's yielding to it. So the thought is not the, the, the sin or not the problem, that we're going to always have those thoughts. He said, you know, the problem is, is that a thought, if you rehearse it, turns into an imagination. And that imagination becomes like the fantasy thought. You know, you visualize what this would be like, what that's going to be, and how that's going to meet your need or whatever. And then that becomes a desire. And then the desire, he said, moves into your will, and the will takes action and the action leads to the sin. And so the key is to sweep the thought away. Resist the thought when the thought comes in. He said, because if you don't, then it obviously it, it grows. It's that idea of whatever you starve dies, whatever you feed grows. And so, I don't know, I was just really encouraged to hear the message because I was kind of mad at myself for the fact that I'm even being tempted, you know. I, I But the fact is that I don't have Laura, and, you know, so anyhow, um, it's part of my faith test. He was also explaining also the difference between trial and temptation, that temptation is usually a desire to get you to do something evil. In my opinion, if I were to um, not believe God for his promise for Laura and get ahead of him, I think God would see that as evil. You know, if I were to just say, no, nah, God's not coming with Laura, I'm just going to have to move forward on finding somebody myself, then to me, that would be like me getting ahead. So I feel like mine may be a trial and a temptation. But um, the other thing is I prayed last night. I'm like, God, what do I do about this house thing? And I got on my knees and I said, Lord, please help me. And at some point I looked at my phone right afterwards and it was nine something and then the songs below it were 19 of 26. Well, that 9 atop of that 19 made 9, 19. I'm like, well, I don't know, Lord. That's I don't know if I'm seeing that to try to put that together or what. And then I guess at some point, right, right, right around 19, I was looking at the Bible or something on my phone. I was in bed and I looked up and it was 9, 19. So I'm like, Lord, please tell me what you mean. You know, what What does this mean? Is this applied to the housing thing? Is this applying to waiting for Laura? You know, what... 
What is this meaning? And then this morning I woke up at 5.11. The clock was changing as I grabbed my phone. It was 5.10. And before I could put my phone down, it changed to 5.11. I tried to go back to sleep a little while. I just felt a little tired. I woke up. I walked into the kitchen. 5.55 exactly like yesterday morning. Where I walked in the... I think it was yesterday morning. I walked in and it was 5.55. So I feel like God is again just encouraging me. Persevere. I will deliver you. So this morning I'm going to try to put my thoughts back on that because I'm feeling a little weary. Like, you know, I'm waiting for everything. It's a real serious test. I I am starting to feel like, you know, Jesus was tempted for power. Um, He was tempted for throwing himself off to see that God would save him. He was tempted to feed himself. So he had all these temptations, you know, temptations to prove that he really was who he says he was and and um, I'm feeling like, man, I'm being tempted to, you know, move ahead. It's weird. I mean, is, is could my parents' house be like a Laura thing? You know, like where I'm trying, where he's, I'm being tempted to, um, you know, move on something that God's not got planned for me. And then the same thing like with these Laura lookalikes. So am I seeing Satan's best being presented to me right before God's best in both things? I mean, you know, uh it's really weird. So I'm just going to continue to try to wait, and I'm now going to renew my mind in the Word. And this morning I'm going to uh, a Methodist church in Lacey Springs with my friend Wes and Lindsay. They're going there because a family member is there, and today they're dedicating baby David. And they've asked me if I would be his godfather in the event something happened to Wes, which I'm so honored about. And I love this little boy, and, and uh, so that's what I'm doing this morning. It's uh, 5.41 in the morning on June 16th, 6.16 of all days. I woke up this morning feeling pretty negative. I woke up early, like around 4-something. I don't know exactly what time it was. I tried to go back to sleep, and then uh, I didn't plug my phone in last night, so I couldn't tell what time it was until I'd actually get out of bed, get it on my dresser. I woke up just feeling, you know, negative thoughts, not anything in particular, just kind of everything, just feeling overall. I've been seeing... 525 quite a bit in the last day and I'm wondering if the Lord is really shutting me down on even moving in this house to begin with. I'm really concerned that the Lord is telling me to not even move in and how my parents are going to take that. It's going to be really, really um, rough. I already had told them, you know, that I'm out. I can't be a part of this deal. And they said, well, could you move in temporarily? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It just depends on what the Lord tells me. And I'm starting to feel more and more like he's telling me not to even move in, which I'm thinking to myself, so what do I tell him? No, I'm not leaving your house. I mean, it's hard, you know. I want to be out of their house for them, but I also want to obey God. I don't want to, I, I don't mind moving into another house. I like the other house. I'd love to be out, but, you know, there's that part of me that's like, wow, what am I supposed to do, Lord? But I know and trust that he'll show me and make it clear. But then I woke up this morning, I got out of bed, and I felt like when I clicked my phone, it was going to be 5.11, telling me to persevere. It was 5.11. Three times this week or two times this week, 5.11. I know there was two 5.55s walking into the kitchen as I woke up late two mornings. But there's been two mornings this week, I think three mornings this week now, that I've woken up and clicked my phone. It's 5.11. We consider blessed those who persevere. For you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And I am just praying, God Almighty, I'm praying because I definitely am feeling 
weary. The everything is closing in on me more and more. You know, the pressure to know where you're going to go and to tell your parents. I mean, I'm not worried about where I'm going, but I'm worried about for my parents to be able to tell them. Um, the other night with all the the Laura look-alike type of things and just the, those couple more days of having my my sexual appetite be being aware of it and thinking about it more it's been bothersome um you know my not being able to have my children now of course my ex-wife is continuing to make it difficult for them to even have conversations with me yesterday was father's day i didn't even get to talk to my own children they tried to call my mom was on the phone we couldn't click over fast enough i tried to call back text email nothing she does it on purpose to try to to hurt me, and I'm, I've told the Lord I'm willing to go through the hurt, I'm willing for the suffering and stuff, so this friend of mine asked me to do a video job, you know, in Florida, asked me if I could do a story video for a friend, and I see a 525 immediately, like the next number I see, I click in my phone, 30 minutes later it was 525, I'm like, okay Lord, I see it, thank you so much, so I'm so thankful that God is directing me still so much in speaking to me through his word. I'm so thankful for that. I have to keep reminding myself that if God is directing me like this and speaking to me, that regardless of my circumstances, things are going to be okay. They're going to be better than okay because God is with me and he's directing me and he has a plan and he's telling me I'm going to be blessed because I persevere. What's the perseverance of Job? The second half of his life was richly blessed. I mean, what an amazing promise I'm getting from God. You know, I mean, I feel like the Lord is telling me I'm going to be wonderfully blessed. I don't, I'm not thinking to the to the extent that Job was by any means, because I didn't even lose as much as Job did. But, um, you know, the fact is, if God gave me Laura, God gave me some fruit in the ministry, some finances to do the ministry, and my children living with me. Michael commentary. Little brother Michael, indeed God is going to bless you. He has spoken the promise of Job's blessing on your life. The second half of your life is going to be far more blessed than the first half of your life, little brother. But it is not going to be in regards to the things that you can see on this earth. Things that you can see with your eyes, which are temporal. God is going to bless you, Michael, because Job lived in the Old Covenant. He receives Old Covenant blessings. You live in the new covenant. You are primarily going to receive spiritual blessings, brother. And I know that you're not entirely wanting to hear that yet. You're not even ready to hear it yet. But that is what the new covenant is about. The things that you have just mentioned, good finances, a beautiful wife, your children living in your home, the Jesus Christ that you love had none of those. He is your example. He was homeless, who can speak of his offspring. He had no children. He has tons of spiritual children. And brother, you are going to have tons of spiritual children. You're going to have tons of spiritual blessing in your heart. It's going to be as if your house was filled with children to your heart's delight without you having to actually go to Walmart and feed their mouths every single week. You're going to have amazing blessings in your heart. God has a few things for you. Don't panic. He has a few things for you along the way, but some of them he's going to give to you and take away to constantly keep your heart fixated and your hope fixed fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. End of commentary. That would be better than to me than to have a Job experience. I mean, that would be my God restored me. I've been thinking about Laura so much and... 
it is just so deeply mysterious how I've been able to hold on to, to this woman basically just in my own mind and through my own spirit and through the help of God showing me the two twelves. It hasn't been me, it's been God. Oh, speaking of which, yesterday in church, here I am being, you know, um, a part of the service as a, as a godfather for David, which I just thought was so awesome. And I uh, we turned in our hymnals, you know, to a certain song, and I opened up my hymnal right to 212. I took a picture of it. And then, of course, at the bottom of one of the songs we sang, there was a 666. It seems like the 666 have been warnings about what's going on with my kids and the phone calls and stuff. It's been so hard to talk to my kids. Last time I talked to them, I got to talk to two of them, not the other three. And she never would have them call back. So I'm okay with it. You know, I'm, I, know I, I hate it for my children, but I know that God is going to do something now. I just have to put myself in His Word and encourage myself because I'm feeling weary. I'm feeling weary like the psalmist talks about. You know, I'm, I need my spirit revived. And so uh, I'm going to get in the Word now. I've just been having a conversation with my friend David and trying to encourage him to live in the fear of the Lord and to walk away from any double-mindedness or any sin habits or patterns that he's trying to juggle with being a Christian. And he's been struggling back and forth for quite a long time. And I told him I wondered if there's not a stronghold on him, maybe through unforgiveness of some kind. And I asked him, is there anybody that you haven't you know, forgiven. He brought up one person, uh, his ex-roommate, that he keeps bringing up. And as a result of that, I'm suggesting to him that it could be that that's what's giving Satan power over him in this area of, of women, you know, and him constantly struggling. So he brought up the fact that he's thinking about moving to South Carolina and he's really wanting God's direction. And he said, you know, God's not giving me anything black or white. He says, I just keep laying things down thinking it's God's will. And I said, well, Understand this, that God will speak to us clearly. He'll give us clear direction. I said, and if he's not giving you clear direction, it could be there's something standing in the way. And that could be a sin of something. And I talked about, you know, uh, women and the way he looks at women and doing things without thinking about them and stuff like that. That there's something that could be that's displeasing standing between, you know, God speaking to him and him receiving a word. And what this made me realize is that so many people don't live in the fear of the Lord the Bible says, who is the man that fears the Lord? The Lord will make known to him the way chosen for him, meaning you will be guided by him. And I think to myself, this is such a huge problem for so many people. They don't live a life of holiness. They're leaning on this false grace, um, thinking that it's forgiveness or permission to sin rather than realizing it's the power not to sin. And they don't get clear direction from God so they have to run to people. When he said to me, you know, what do you think about this? And I said, well, David, I don't know God's will for your life. I said, but God does. Well, you know, God does use other people to speak. And I said, but David, God wants to speak directly to you. That's how you're going to have a relationship. You're not going to have this. I want people to understand you're not going to have this third party relationship with God where God speaks to you through somebody else on a regular basis. Yes, when you may need it, when you're not when you're early in your stage, yes, that may happen. But more and more, God should speak to you directly to where you don't have to go to other people to get a word from God or understand His plan for your life. I see that this sets people up by not walking in holiness. It sets people up to run to man or to other people for answers uh, from God about your life. In my opinion, the best thing God can do with other people is to either encourage you 
or to confirm words that God has already spoken or to confirm ways, the ways of God. That is the biggest blessing I get from listening to Charles Stanley's messages as an example or reading his books. It confirms a lot of the ways that God is actually dealing directly with me and speaking with me. So I can go, oh, wow, this is how God dealt with Charles Stanley. Oh, wow, this is how God spoke to Charles Stanley. One example is that Charles Stanley talks about one of the first things that God started saying to him early on, the simplest things, was, trust me. And I thought, <laughs> that's exact. Those are the exact words I have journaled that God spoke to me when I was asking about the children. When I was driving down the road, down the highway, and I said, Father, how can you expect for me to just walk away from these kids like this, leaving them in this very ungodly home? And God just said, trust me. And I'm still trusting him. The point is that we can all have a direct relationship with God. I think there's probably some teachers and pastors that would want people to think, oh, you got to be dependent upon me. No way. I want people going direct to God. I want people living such humble, godly, God-fearing lives that God begins speaking to them in such profound ways. They say, this is incredible. And they may perhaps say, Mike is the one who encouraged me to trust God like this. The, the thought of... Man, that just blows my mind. The thought of somebody living a life before God completely sold out, bringing glory and pleasure to God's name because God used me to encourage that person. Oh, man, that's incredible. That is incredible. That is my main goal and purpose is getting people to take God seriously, bringing Him pleasure. I can't wait. Oh, man. On the way home from the Starbucks, I actually had a really great meeting today, by the way, at the Starbucks and met with Sean, who I've known now for close to the three years that I've been here, um, known him from a distance, mostly about business from seeing at Starbucks over and over. And I've always liked the guy and he's always liked me. And tonight God opened the door. We happened to be at the same Starbucks at Madison County, which is very rare. And God opened the door for me to have a real serious chat with him about the importance of putting God first and not just chasing money. And he just came to my side of the table and he says, Mike, I'm in agreement with you, man. He's like, you know, I am starting to take God more seriously and all that. And I said, well, brother, come to the Bible study, man. Show God you're putting him first. Come. There's guys whose lives have been changed. And we just had a, I think we talked for over two hours and he's now going to come to the Bible study. And I was so blessed. I mean, it's just so wonderful to see God slowly using me. I, I left I saw a 111. I felt like God was telling me he's proud of me. It seems like I've been seeing that after I meet with somebody, like God reminding me he's proud of this work. It seems insignificant. It's unseen. Nobody knows what's going on. It's very hidden work that God is having me do. And he's just reminding me that he's proud of me. And I had uh, such joy serving him today and um, also worked uh, for David for a couple hours and actually had a really good time with him, helping him out, putting some office chairs together and and um, had the opportunity to really confront him on things I'm concerned about and, and really just be a friend to him that pushes in on anything that's outside of God's will or truth for his life. I don't know God's will for his life, but there are some things I can see that he's clearly struggling with and I'm trying to help him in those areas. And I think he's very thankful for that, even though it hurts sometimes because I, I get on him and I, um, I'm very bold. And, uh, but anyhow, it was a good morning and just have had, uh, felt really blessed. On the way home, 
you know, uh, I started to pray and then I said, no, Lord, I want to just, I need to spend some time one-on-one praying, not driving down the road praying. And God, I need you to give me some direction about this house thing. And um, I had actually just pulled up to a stoplight and a car just pulls right up next to me, 919 on the license plate. And actually, even now, as I speak this, I realize that when I started making this recording, it should have been right at about 525. I literally just walked out of my room. First of all, when I came inside the house, I walked in, walked straight to the digital clock. It's 511. I woke up and got out of bed this morning at 511. I walk in the house. It's 511. That's persevere. <clears throat> so I see the 919 on the way home. Uh, that's a reminder to stay put. Don't get ahead of God. Don't set out. I'm coming out of the room um, here, having just changed clothes. I've put in a call to my parents have gone to Monday night concerts in the dock. I wanted to stay home because I haven't talked to my daughter Chelsea in two and a half weeks. My ex-wife has not allowed the kids to talk long enough and something's happened for the last two times I've tried to talk to her. Three times I've missed talking to her. So I think it's almost like my ex-wife is intentionally isolating her and she's choosing who gets to go. Same thing with Tyler. I didn't get to talk to Tyler the last two times. And he's struggling. Michael Commentary. Little brother, you've just mentioned that your daughter Chelsea is being isolated from you and you have not been able to speak to her in two weeks. Do you remember just a few weeks earlier when she told you about a terrible dream that she was having where she had two separate dreams? One was she was swimming in the ocean and a shark came up and bit her in the stomach. And then following that, she had a dream of a snake that had been camouflaging itself, coming out of a swimming pool jet, and again, biting her in the stomach. And now here we are just a few weeks later, and you're beginning to see the manifestation of that prophecy and that dream that Satan is indeed attacking your daughter. You know, your daughter, your oldest daughter, She's so very precious to you. She has always been a daddy's girl. And you know that. When I look in your life and I look at your old pictures and your old videos, you can see that your daughter adored you and you adored her. She was a true daddy's girl. And God is going to allow this flower in your heart to be attacked. None of this attack of Satan is happening apart from God's permissible will and design in your life. You are going to have to lose the love of all of your children. You're going to have to fully lose the pride of being a father because just like your desires for your wife is inordinate, so is the desire for your children. And Michael, your life is not the normal Christian life. God is going to build a massive ministry effort on your life. And in order for God to be able to trust you, he is going to have to test you and see if if there's anything. Michael, think of all the movies that have played out where the hero in the story is so unstoppable that the only thing the antagonist can do to try to conquer and overcome and defeat the hero is to attack his family. The only thing that will get him to stop 
his force against the antagonism. The only thing that can prevent him from having victory and destroying all of their plans is his family. Michael, think of how many movies you've seen where it's important that the hero keeps his family hid or perhaps the heroes that haven't had any children and they become even more dangerous. Perhaps they've lost their children in the past and now they become virtually unstoppable. You see, it's the same way, brother, in the spiritual realm. God is wanting to see, can he trust you at the highest levels of ministry, the highest levels for your life, the highest calling, and can he give you the power and the unction and the calling to do a very special work for him, even if Satan tries to attack you and stop you through your children? Will you continue to be a force to be reckoned with? Will you continue to be a soldier, immovable on the front lines in the army of Jesus Christ against the forces of evil And against the spirit who is now at work all over the world in the lives and hearts of those who are disobedient. Are you willing to be the hero in your story, even to the point of it costing you your children? Michael, this is the test that God is going through with you. In order for God to give you the blessing that he wants to give you in this ministry, in order for him to pour out his spirit and anointing on your life and heart, in order to teach you how to carry the cross sacrificing yourself for other people, loving other people, and continuing to do the Lord's will, suffering to do the Lord's will, God is going to have to see. Where is that weak link in the chain of your spirituality that Satan knows he can exploit? See, God knows where those weaknesses are at before you do, little brother, and that's why God is going to go after those weaknesses. God's going to attack them first. And to allow you to grow up and be strong and to separate you from that and strengthen that chain so that when Satan pulls on that chain, it doesn't pull you away from God or away from the work against his kingdom that God has called you to do. So please understand this. It's going to seem very, very difficult and hurtful what you're going to have to go through. You're going to go through years more of suffering being apart from your children, but God is going to bless you with an abundance of spiritual children. You can trust him. God's plans are not going to be stopped in your children's lives simply because you're choosing to obey God's plan for your life. In fact, that's the only way you can truly be a blessing to these children. If God ever has plans to bless them is by you being so willing to obey him that it may appear to them and others for a time that you hate them. Any man who comes after me and who does not hate mother and father, brother and sister, wife and children, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. End of commentary, little brother. So I'm um, wanting to stick around, wait for them. I've put in a call. I, I change in my room. I walk out and it's 525 on the microwave. I quickly run and get my camera, take the picture. It's 525 on my phone. And here it is, 919, not too long ago. My mom has just told me a few minutes ago, Michael, pray about the house. Tomorrow's the inspection. And, you know, we're planning on moving forward with this. And maybe after we get done with the house, maybe you could ask if she could have the kids come for a month, you know, and... I feel like God is shutting me down on this house. I feel like I'm going to have to tell my parents, God is not going to let me move into that house. I don't know why, but all I know is I've prayed about it and God has shown me 919 and 525. That means don't move ahead and walk according to the Spirit. And and right now, if I moved in there, I wouldn't have any peace. 
This is something that's so important for people, um, particularly um, anybody that I share this recording with my children. It's important to know that when God asks you to do something, if it doesn't seem right, meaning if it seems to go against logic and it seems um, to not make any sense, but yet you, you feel like, wow, maybe God is asking me to do this hard thing. God many times asks us to do things that don't make any sense, that don't seem logical, and they're going to potentially hurt us if we obey them. There's going to cause suffering, at least up front. But what I follow is the peace. So in other words, right now, based upon what I believe God is telling me, if I were to move into that house, even though I'd like to, I would not have peace about it, and I would feel like I'm disobeying God. It would violate my conscience. And so I don't have any idea what God is doing, but I find this fascinating. God is repeatedly telling me to not move on something. Um, David, my friend David and Terry invited me to move in, and Terry was all excited. Oh, I'd love to have you move in. God said no, and I didn't even have to think about that. I knew that wouldn't be a wise decision. Then my friend Jason takes me to see a house that he's thinking on renting. You could have this room and we could move in here. And at first I thought, man, look at the timing of this. I'm supposed to be kicked out of my house in four days and here's an offer. No, it was not the right thing. I saw 525. I get there. He talks about how one of the rooms smells like cat pee. And I said, God, is this really the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? You know, and I, I was like, is this really, I mean, Father, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but you've had me waiting for so long, and you've told me you're going to deliver me and bless me. Is this the blessing? Is this the favor of the Lord for those who fear him? This house that my room's going to smell like cat pee? Really? It just didn't make sense. I saw Seven Eleven. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? And I said, is this a good gift? A place to live off the streets is a good gift. I'm not not thankful, but I'm believing God that what he's telling me is he's going to bless me with something good, that just like Job, the second half of my life is going to be better than the first. It's going to be blessed. And it's not because I wanted it. It's because God wishes to bless his children. And he knows that it won't come in between he and I anymore, that it will only serve to magnify my feelings of gratitude and my desire to obey him. So God said no. And I told my friend no. I said, man, I'm, you, if you're going to get the house, get it on your own. I'm not supposed to move in there. And this was when him and his wife had temporarily broken apart and he was thinking about getting a place for a while just by himself. And so then uh, my parents offered me to move into this house. And I saw, incidentally, I see the 919 and the 525. I made a video. And this is how I know. I feel like God is just confirming, Michael, this is not what you're supposed to do. So I took the video. I went um, up on the mountain or I was driving somewhere. And I, I get to where I'm parked and I had been praying, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to give me a sign to speak very clearly to me what you're saying. I pull in the parking lot. The speedometer is at 525 point you know, three miles. There it is, 525. So I start making a video recording about this. And I'm turning the video camera on my phone around me and I'm recording parents' house. I'm praying about it. All these things are happening, all that. At one point in the story, it's time for me to turn the camera around to show 
that the car odometer is tripometer is on 525 miles. As I do that, the counter on the video I can now see because I've turned my phone around. And what does it say the second that I put it on 525? Nine minutes and 19 seconds. Michael commentary. Little brother, you don't yet realize how incredibly accurate and wonderful is the guidance of God in your life. This seems very mysterious to you, although you are believing it and you're moving forward. But the day is going to come when you're going to look back on these things and you are going to see it is absolutely astonishing grace that you are walking in, that God is giving you such clear guidance as he has promised for thousands of years to any who would truly fear him and obey him. You are receiving this clear guidance, Michael, from God. And there's going to come a day when people will make fun of you even after this, and perhaps some have already done so, and say, oh, God doesn't speak by numbers. This is just numerology. Satan can quote numbers. You're going to hear everything. But my brother, you're going to know blessing that they will never know because you, by faith, have received and obeyed the voice of God. Michael, you have no idea how important this decision is for you right here, right now. That's why God is going out of his way to make it very clear to you to stay in step with the Spirit, showing you the Old Covenant version, Numbers 919, and its parallel twin in the New Covenant, 525 Galatians, to make sure that you're very clear on this because God is getting ready to do something very, very important that is going to impact deeply thousands and thousands of people's lives. I'm not going to give you a hint about what's going to happen, but because you're going to obey God here in this, you cannot imagine the cost if you wouldn't have obeyed in moments just like this. Stick around, little brother. You are going to be amazed when you hear what's about to happen in your life in just a few months. End of commentary. I have seen God do this now multiple times where he will pair a 919 with a 525 and that's one of those do not pass go, do not collect $200, do not miss what I'm saying to you. God is giving me clear guidance. Does, does the God of the universe know how to speak to us? Yes or no? Yes. He knows how to direct us to speak to, to scriptures. He knows how to communicate to me and I've learned how God speaks to me. He speaks to me in this kind of unique way. I'm sure many people have a unique way, but this is kind of a new, unique way, and I hear it, and I obey, and it's way beyond coincidence. I've been doing this now for so long um, that you, you, you begin to know when God's speaking. So here I am today again going, God, you know, Lord, I need you to give me clarity, Father. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of this, my mom every day keeps talking about the house and moving in and this, and she's so excited about me moving in this house, and I know that she feels like it's going to be a huge help to me, and I'll be a help to them. And every time she says it, I have this just vacuum of peace. It's, a, it's a, not a vacuum, but it's a, it's a loss of peace, like it's a letdown. Like I know I'm going to have to let my parents know I can't move into this house, and it's Part of me is disappointed. I've already told them before, but my mom tries to resell. She's like, well, you know, maybe just for a little while. And partial obedience is not obedience. I'm telling you, this is so, my life is so textbook. My life is so, my testimony and story are so textbook right out of the Bible and right out of, 
you know, like Charles Stanley sermons. It's unbelievable when I hear the kind of things he's teaching people. And yet I know God has taught me this exact thing. Like, for example, when, you know, the court hearing that I appeared over the phone and I, I have a terrible victory, a terrible defeat that day. They won't accept my uh, transcript from the court hearing because I only got the last 30 minutes. Nobody told me I had to have the whole thing. They threw the thing out. I hang up the phone and God says, Michael, this is why you are not still divorced. Because you did not fully obey me. Partial obedience is not obedience. When the judge told me uh, to cross-examine my wife, the Lord had told me, do not defend myself. And what did I do? I caved into the pressure of well-meaning friends and I began to defend myself. And God had already told me very clearly not to. And as a result... There's consequences. God brought more discipline and it took longer. And, you know, anyhow, so now I am realizing all of this and, and I'm sitting here going, no, God does not want me. I could not move in the first day right now. I'm wanting to question it. I'm wanting to go, but why, Lord? You know, I don't understand. But I'm far enough down this road now learning God's ways to know that God is telling me to obey Him. And it's going to cause pain. Again, when I obey the Lord, every single time I'm obeying the Lord, He's asking me to do things that do not make sense to anybody else and that are going to cause me pain as a result of me having to try to defend my decision or to justify the decision to other people or to explain why it should be right for me to cost them something to obey God. I mean, everything God's asked me to do has been difficult, backwards, illogical in the way of these big things, you know? Fire your attorney. Trust me when you leave Florida, leaving your kids behind. Go, leave, trust me. Stop your secular work, believe me for finances. Trust me, he hasn't provided the kind of finances I need. I'm way behind on child support. Every single time I try to move forward on getting a job, taking something, God says, no, shuts it down. Just this week, I got a $5,000 video job. Lord, I'm going to pray about it. 20 minutes later, 525. The second I clicked my phone, some 25 minutes later, bam, there was the sign up. A 525. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is exactly like what happened. It's astonishing how God does this. This is exactly what happened, you know, a year ago. I got three video job offers from one man on one day, $15,000 worth of work. At this time, I was only about four months behind on child support, I think, uh, maybe three months. And I needed the money. This was a lot of money, $15,000. I was only behind a couple thousand on child support. It would have put money in the bank and left me left over. And God, I said, Lord, I'm going to need to see a 919 or a 525, God. I'm going to need you to speak to me because, God, I want this money. I need this money to pay my bills. And I don't know if this is a blessing from you or a distraction. I click my phone. I'm talking within seconds of me praying this prayer. And it was 525. And instantly I knew. I send the guy the email. And Two emails he sent me, man, Mike, you are one of those guys who lives what you, what you preach. And I just noticed this guy saying, you, you, know, you know, you practice what you preach. You are the real deal, as he would say. Um, this was Russ uh, Edwards. So anyhow, I, I see now tonight the 919 on the way home. Come in. It's 511. Persevere. 
go into my room, get changed, all that. Come out. It's 525 right there. 919 and 525 paired together. Again, telling me, standing here, I've been praying about the house. So I think I'm going to let my parents know tomorrow morning before the inspection because if the inspection doesn't go well, I don't want them to think I'm allowing the circumstances to dictate my decision. I want them to know that I'm obeying God so that, that when God does whatever he does, and here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe God is going to do something awesome. I believe God is going to do something awesome. He's not asking me to wait like this for no reason. I believe God is going to do something awesome. He's going to provide for me either finances or somebody's going to offer an awesome place for me to live. Something awesome is going to happen. And one of the things I feel like, oh, this is, this is so cool. I've got to put this on this recording. Just this morning, I had thought several times in the past that a couple of days that, you know, Maybe God doesn't want my parents to bail me out again. In other words, I don't think God wants to lead me down in the desert this long for three years trying to believe him and trust him to then have my parents, quote, save the day at the last minute. My mom would end up taking credit for this. And God does not want anybody to take credit for what he does. Now, God has used my parents to provide me food shelter, and plenty of persecution along the way, primarily my mom. Uh, but they've taken care of, they've given me gas, they gave me this car, and they inherited, and, 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 and I, it's been wonderful to be provided for in that way, although it was hell for the first two and a half years. I'd say the first two and a half years, there were so many times I wanted to run, move to California, get out of town, get away because it hurt. It doesn't hurt like that anymore. Because God has strengthened me. And so I feel like God does not want my mom uh, to take credit. Not because he doesn't like my mom, but because God doesn't want anybody to steal his glory. He's, he has asked me to sit. He has told me he will deliver me. Could he use my parents? Of course. But I believe God is going to do it in a different way. He does not want my mother, who is only starting to flirt with the idea of actually trusting God and having real faith in him, to be able to take credit for my deliverance. That doesn't make any biblical sense whatsoever. There's not one smidgen of evidence in the whole Bible that God would ever allow something like that to happen. So having said that, this morning I get this uh, message from Greg Laurie through the fire. Interestingly enough, I woke up at 5.11 this morning. That's a passage out of the book of James that talks about Job and his perseverance that God has shown me so often. Today's scripture was, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, excuse me, I shall come forth as gold. Job 23.10. Here's the message. God specializes in putting us in situations where only he can deliver us. That way we can't, quote, thank our lucky stars or compliment ourselves or our own cleverness or resourcefulness. Rather, we must say only God could have done this. The Lord wants to receive the glory for what he does. And he clearly says in scripture that he will not give his glory to another. There it is. I had already known in my spirit that God was telling me he would not give uh, the glory of my deliverance to my parents. 
He's used them, but they didn't deliver me in court. If it was up to, to them, they would have paid an attorney and wasted another ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars trying to defend me, trying to help me. Who would have gotten the credit? They would have. God wants the glory. God wants the credit. That's why he said, no, you go in there without an attorney. You don't listen to what your mom is saying. You trust me. So Isaiah 42.8 says he'll not give his glory to another one. It reminds us, reminds us of a man who knew something about suffering, whose very name, in fact, is synonymous with the word. I'm speaking, of course, of Job. Here was a man who lost his children, his home, and everything he owned, including his health. Job had a lot of questions, the same questions that many of us have. He said, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I would come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Job honestly admitted what he was struggling with. Then he added what would become a classic statement of faith. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job 23.10. Job was saying, I don't know what is going on. I don't know why God has allowed these things to happen. But I know this. When I am tested, I will come forth as gold. That was God's objective for Job. And it is his objective for you too. And I thought, this is so providential, right in line with what God is speaking to me about and telling me, I've known I'm being tested. This is a test even now. God is making it clear to me what I'm to do. Now, will I have the courage to obey and disappoint my parents? It's not fun having to sit down and tell my mom, who I love being a peacekeeper with. I love not saying things to her and getting all in her business or having her get in mine. I like to just keep the peace. Okay, but when my mom and I have religious conversations about God, I end up always having to share, you know, what I believe is to be the truth. And it rarely has been uh, in the past something that we could talk about without button heads on. My mom wants to be in control of things, so this pushes in on all of her fear buttons. This makes her feel out of control, and that makes her angry. Fear leads to anger. And so she's afraid for me. She's afraid of what's going to happen to me. She's afraid. She'll be afraid of what's going to happen to her house. She's going to want to. She's going to want to manhandle this. And now I can see how God is going to use this, even for my mom. My mom's. My God is going to be using this not only for me, but He'll use it for my mom so to help her see she cannot control her own life or that of somebody else. And. But she's going to kick back. She's going to be frustrated. She's going to be disappointed. She may accuse me of having impure motives for doing this. That's happened in the past. You know, we realized when you came in the other night, you know, you were you were looking really kind of frustrated. You had that look in your eyes, you know, and that look in my eyes was sinus issues and all that. But she said, no, it wasn't that. You know, you had this. Sometimes I have that look in my eye because I'm having to be so, you know, assertive about the fact that, uh, God has a different plan for my life than you do. And you still haven't figured that out. I know I'm at your house. I know I'm eating your food. This has been great. And I'm sure God will reward you for this if you trust him to finish what he started in my life. He's not asking you to be God today or tomorrow or next week. And so my mom's getting closer. I mean, I should point out that it's been wonderful to see my mom slowly let out the kite string and slowly start to trust God and she doesn't seem to be carrying the fear and the worry and all that so much. Behind the scenes, maybe. But now she feels like she's getting to save me again. I've got this house. I'm going to put Mike in there. You know, this could be you and the kid's house. 
She's got it all planned out of what she would hope and want to happen. It all sounds good. I'm very thankful that my mom would want to take care of me like that. I'm thankful. I know there are people who would love to have parents who would want to help spend money. I wish my mom have would have treated me much differently than she did while I was here. But it's all worked out for my good. All that suffering and persecution and difficult times have all worked out to change me into a different person. Very much that I needed. So I'm thankful for that. But I'm sitting here realizing that I'm going to have to obey God and it's going to cause suffering. And each time I do this, I'm passing a test with God's help. And so I'm going to have this conversation with them tomorrow to let them know that God has made it very clear to me. And I'm going to take, could I be wrong? I could always be wrong. But I've been following this and somebody would say, well, your circumstances don't look like you're hearing from God very well. But the peace, the joy, the rest, the contentment, and the fruit are what my evidence is that God is with me and that God is proud of me and that I'm hearing correctly from him. Even today, I have a new guy that's going to be coming to the Bible study. You know, God is using me to produce fruit in, these, in the lives of these people. What a, what a wonderful thing, you know. And, I, and the guy was like, Mike, you know, we never talk about me. We always talk about... Or we never talk about you. We always talk about me. And I said, buddy, I'm at that stage in my life where I'm so content in God and he's met the needs of my heart so well that I don't need to talk about me. I really am at a place where I love thinking about other people. If I want to talk about anything, I want to talk about God or tell a part of my story what God's done, but I don't need to talk about me. And uh, it was just really interesting to hear him make this. He goes, you never want to talk about you. He goes, you know, you always just... Talk about me and I feel bad. And I, I, I thought, what a great testimony that is because I used to always want to talk about me. And now I just care about God and other people. And I'm all about helping connect other people to God. That's what I'm thinking, not, oh, I wonder if I can talk about how interesting I am. No, that doesn't even occur to me anymore. That's a wonderful testimony of God's faithfulness. So anyhow, I, I, I must know now, I don't need to ask God for any more signs. I need to just trust Him that I'm following the peace that I've seen the 919, I don't necessarily, um, I'm not happy about having to tell them this. I'm not necessarily happy about, oh, I'm not getting to move into the house. I have no idea what that means. How much longer are my parents going to have to put up with me living here? Where am I going to end up going? I do not know. All I know is I have to obey God. For all I know, God could send a check the very next day. Or God could have a, 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 a somebody else say, Mike, I got this house. I really need somebody to live in it. Whatever God wants to do. Well, it's whatever he wants to do. I don't know. I don't need to figure it out. I have learned more and more. My only job is to obey what I know. Whatever God tells me, obey and trust him for the results. And so I'll have to turn around and say, Mom, you just need to pray about you know, when God would have you send me on. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know when I can leave. I don't have anywhere else to go. All I know is I'm not allowed to move into that house. I don't know why. And I just wouldn't doubt it if God doesn't soon after provide another place for me to live in such a way that only he could do it. Because I know that my mom would would take pride in, quote, saving me. And I guarantee you, God has not invested this much time in me, October 2009 to October 2014, coming up in three months, will be five years God has been uh, working in my life, helping me to die to myself, 
helping me to understand his ways, helping develop a great relationship with, with me such that I learn to hear his voice above all others, I highly doubt God is going to turn around and tell me over and over again, 555, 555, 555, 555, and tell me these things that he's going to deliver me and then bless me and then allow somebody else to do it and take credit for it. That is not the God that I see in the Bible. That is not the father that I know. He wants credit just like that email Greg Laurie said. So I'm going to obey. I'm going to tell my parents and then I'm going to watch and expect in God's timing He's going to provide, and I'm going to have to trust. It may not happen the next day. It may not happen for a couple of days. It's very interesting to me. I want to make one final point that just came to my heart. As I read in the book, Appointments with Heaven, one of the huge tests that Dr. Reggie Anderson came up with is that after his schooling, he agreed and applied to a certain uh, organization that would place him as a doctor in a certain region. And if he agreed to go practice medicine in one of these areas, they would basically pay his uh, education and loans. If he didn't go to one of those assigned areas, they would penalize him the tuition and interest, and it would be upwards of $300,000. Maybe more. Maybe the interest and all that was on top of it, but it was going to cost them $300,000. They get the package in the, the mail. They know that God has called them to go to this certain place. They get the package in the mail, and that place is not listed as one of the approved places that they've, they're told to go, Ashland City. And so they pray about it. They're like, what do we do? What do we do? We know God has asked us. But if we go with this other place, it's going to cost us $300,000 potentially. So what are we, what are we going to do? We're going to trust God and go with what we believe he's told us. We think we've heard correctly from God. You know, they double-checked it. They triple-checked it. And just like me, I know now that I have heard from God and that God is going to deliver me. Incidentally, and I bet it's 5.55 right now on the alarm, on the, on the clock, on the thing, after, as I'm sitting here talking about God delivering me. So they decide to trust God. And like within a matter of days, they get an envelope in the mail and it says, congratulations, here's your paperwork necessary to, to begin your practice at Ashland City. It all got approved. God did it all, provided it all. They didn't have to pay the 300000 God tested their faith. Would they believe him or would they believe their self and put their eyes on the circumstances and the difficulty? And so I um, am deciding to do the same thing. And I really believe that God is going to provide behind that. Again, it may not be the next day, the next week, the next month, whenever. But I truly believe. I, I just feel that something even now as I look at this 555 on this other clock. I just believe that God is going to do something awesome. That God is going to show off. That God is going to do something so awesome in this deliverance that many will see and fear and put their trust in God. Psalm 40 verse 4. Maybe it's 40 verse 3. I just believe that God is going to do something awesome. He's going to do something awesome. If I'm willing to believe Him, and I, I thank God for Charles Stanley and all of his messages and the Word of God, the promise pages I've made that I've watched every single day and listened to every day and you know, his messages and then, of course, the, the promise pages I've read and just all the things that have happened for me to trust God. Even now, my ex-wife is being more difficult to me 
than ever before. I'm getting very little contact with the children. She's cutting them off, not letting me talk so much, not letting me see them for the summer. She's, the, the, the heat has been turned up. And I know that God is getting ready to break that whip because I have trusted him. And I said, Lord, I will allow myself to suffer. I trust you above all things. And now God knows, and so do I, that I will trust God no matter what damage, no matter what hurt, no matter what confusion, no matter what persecution it brings to myself or those that I love. Because I trust that God has my good and their good and His glory in mind. And it's taken me five years to learn how to get to this place. You cannot get here overnight. This has taken me five years of walking with God. Other people, maybe not as stubborn as me, could get here quicker. And being able to believe God and have this kind of faith. But I'm telling you, I know that I know that I know he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in God. Isaiah 26, 3. I know that God is going to bless me. I know that he's going to, he's told me over and over, 5.11, Michael, you will be blessed if you persevere. People are going to fear the Lord. I have, I have now promises from God about my children. I believe I'm going to get my children. I believe God is going to bless me with Laura. I believe God is going to bless me with finances. I believe God is going to bless me with a good place to live. I believe God is going to bless me with more fruit in my ministry. I believe God is going to do wonderful things. He's going to put an exclamation point. I believe God is going to fully solidify the 777, showing once again, that's right, Michael, An earthly court was never able to fully deliver you. I've now realized that even though God did this miracle in the beginning and removed all the stuff out, that they were able to go back with their own little conniving, lying, deceptive process and get all of that stuff put back into, I hope that's the kids calling, back into the agreement. Yes, it's my kids. Hello? Hello, is this Kaylee Bugs? How are you, Kaylee Bugs?